Right. Well, a very warm welcome to everyone, uh, both here in, in the room and uh, to you all online. Um, so today, the, um, the LSE's Middle East Center has the honor of um, hosting the book launch of, 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 of Tilde Prosmer's The Islamic Movement in Israel. Um, and so this is a very exciting book, as we will sort of discuss later on. Uh, just to introduce myself, uh, my name is Jeroen Gunning. Uh, I'm a visiting professor here at the LSE. Um, uh, and also a professor across the road at, at King's College London. Uh, my own work has focused on earlier versions of, uh, of the Palestinian Islamic movement Hamas in Gaza, and more recently on Hezbollah in, in Lebanon, including its relations with clans and families. So there's a lot of, of, of common threads with, with, with your work, and I'm, I'm uh, uh, looking forward to exploring those further. Um, just some, some housekeeping. This event will last for an hour. Uh, Tilde will start with a brief synopsis of her book, um, then followed by a 20 minutes of Q&A type discussion between us uh, on some key themes uh, that we're trying to pull out. And then we'll throw the floor open for a Q&A from the audience um, for the last half hour. So that's kind of the idea. Um, and during the audience Q&A, uh, if anyone on Zoom in particular uh, would like to ask a question, please type your question in, in the Q&A box and then we'll address them to the speaker and sort of mix them in with, with uh, questions from the floor. Also, just please note that this event is being recorded. Um, yeah, so that's bookkeeping. And then um, a very warm welcome to our speaker. Um, uh, um, Tilde Rosmer is an assistant professor in the College, uh, College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Zayed University in the United Arab Emirates. Um, her research focuses on collective identity formation and religious political movements, um, uh, with a particular focus on Israel-Palestine and has been published in numerous peer-reviewed journals and of course in, in a book. Um, and, and currently he researches in the emerging field of environmental humanities um, and his focus is on awareness and knowledge of uh, sustainability among Emirati youth. So without further ado, Tilde, the floor is yours and then we'll take it from there. Thank you so much, Yaron, uh, and thank you to the uh, LSE Middle East Center for hosting me here today uh, and to Nadine for her amazing organization. Um, so I'm going to give a short introduction to the Islamic movement and then sort of uh, talk a bit also about my approach uh, in my analysis before we then start our discussion uh, among us and, and everybody. So the Islamic movement in Israel started as a religious revivalist movement inspired by the religious political ideology of the Egyptian uh, Muslim Brotherhood. This happened practically via Islamic institutions in the occupied West Bank that became accessible to Palestinian citizens of Israel after the occupation in 1967. So this is what we can call like an unforeseen and somehow surprisingly positive consequence of the occupation. It started, the movement, it started with a focus on Dawa, spreading of an Islamic lifestyle among individuals uh, and the general community among Palestinian citizens of Israel. And then it soon took on a role of representing Palestinian citizens socially and politically and also by providing them the necessary services that were neglected or were not satisfactorily provided by the state. The movement has since the 1980s participated in local elections very successfully and is providing needed the services at this level of the Israeli bureaucracy, which historically has been the level at which Palestinian citizens have been the most able to um, to have direct influence over their lives and, and in betterment. In 1996, the movement split over the disagreement of whether or not to stand for national elections, so to the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, uh, and so the then called Northern Branch said no, arguing that it is not permissible to enter a non-Muslim political system, and that such a participation meant also recognition of the Zionist character of the state. The then called Southern Branch, on the other hand, argued that there is room for political and also ideological, so religious ideological um, compromise with Muslim actors when this constitutes the local political context and when this is the best way in which to promote and protect the rights and interests of the native Palestinians. So therefore, since 1996, there has been two branches of this movement, the Southern and the Northern. I just have to briefly explain that this is, does not refer to the supporters or activists. It's not like all of the Northern are in the North and all of the Southern are in the South, but it refers to the cities 
uh, or towns where the leaders of the two branches uh, were at the start in 1996. So basically Umm al-Fahm, where we have Shahrar al-Salah, and uh, to the south of Umm al-Fahm, we have Kufir Qasim, where we had uh, Sheikh Abdallah Namib Darwish. These two towns are more or less kind of northern and southern, but generally speaking, um, Palestinians, uh, citizens all over Israel can be affiliated with any of the two branches. Okay, so since 1996, the southern branch has participated in national elections and has had representatives in the Israeli parliament on a parliamentary list called the United Arab List. Uh, with other, where it sometimes also is represented alongside other political parties representing Palestinian citizens. Um, and as an indication of the popularity of this list, it was the largest list representing this constituency from 2009 to 2015. The Northern branch, on the other hand, has only participated in local elections and most particularly in Umm al-Fahm and only until 2013. So, <clears throat> then um, I've been asked to slow down a bit. I'm sorry, I get excited when I when I talk about this. Um, so this branch, uh, the northern branch, has been under increasing pressure from the government, and its leader Raed Salah has been convicted in Israeli courts on several occasions uh, for connections with Hamas, which we know what it is, for inciting violence, uh, and for spitting at an officer all charges that he denies. Since the split, uh, and this is more about sort of my approach and take on how to analyze this movement, most academics uh, and also in most of the media reporting on this movement tend to describe the Northern branch as radical uh, for its rejection to participate in national elections. And I also assume due to the more vocal and direct language of its leaders, Raid Salah and Kamal Khatib. The southern branch is then described as moderate for its participation and more conciliatory uh, approach, especially as practiced by the first leader, Sheikh Abdallah Namir Darwish. However, I argue that this terminology is not very useful. First of all, uh, I find that it, uh, it doesn't kind of lead to any more understanding of either of the two branches. So it is invested with meaning associated with other Islamist movements, thus implying maybe ideological stance or political conduct that does not actually reflect the movement in question. And there is no agreed upon definition of these categories, like what is moderate and what is radical. Uh, therefore, it's difficult how to measure it. And therefore, me, the writer, or you, the reader, in, in this case, we can all kind of put our own content into it, and we don't even know if we're talking about the same thing. Um, so therefore, it might actually lead to more misunderstanding or confusion than to clarity. So therefore, um, I think it is more uh, relevant to look at how the two movements actually behave uh, and consider how they are acting in the context that they are in. So in my uh, book, I tend to describe both as pragmatic. Why? Because they both adjust their ideology and practice to fit into the Israeli state and society context. And they both follow the state's laws. Uh, and until 2013, both partook in election system and in the state bureaucracy, obviously the Northern branch only on the local uh, level and the Southern branch then on both the local and the national level. Both are nonviolent and both modify their Islamist, go Islamist goals to their context. So uh, to illustrate with a conversation I had with the previous leader of the Southern branch, uh, Ibrahim Sarsour, who told me uh, when I asked him about sort of what is the ultimate goal of, of your movement, what would you like to achieve? And trying to sort of get to this, you know, Islamic state, Sharia law, what, what you know. And he uh, said, if I woke up tomorrow and all of the majority Jews in this country had converted to Islam, ahlan wa sahlan, and I will come forward and I will try to convince them to establish an Islamic state. But they don't. And they're not. So I know where I am. We are a small minority. Palestinian citizens are about 20% of the Israeli population, which is significant, but still not obviously enough uh, for any major political uh, change. So they are very aware of the context that they are in. And in that context, they are playing to both practicalities and ideology that fit their surroundings. 
In practice, the two branches are not very different except for the stance of the national uh, elections. They both offer the same social, cultural, educational and religious services to Palestinian citizens. And leaders of both branches are very vocal in response to Israeli actions and politics towards this minority, as well as towards the Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territory. So both support charity organizations in the occupied territories, uh, and some of these uh, are by nature uh, related to Hamas, as Hamas controls most things that goes on in the Gaza Strip. So, for example, when I was on fieldwork in 2010, leaders of both branches were on the flotilla that was going to Gaza, um, and they were both imprisoned by the Israeli um, military slash police and, and taken to court. But in the media, you only heard about Shahrad Salah, the leader of the northern branch, and it was sort of headlined as the radical leader. But the leader of the southern branch, Abu Dhabi's, that I assure you most Israeli Jewish Israelis would not even know his name he was not even mentioned in the articles so it kind of feeds into this kind of narrative of moderate versus radical therefore I suggest that a more accurate description of the two is to describe the northern branch as isolationist and more explicitly so since 2013 when they stopped also participating in local elections I did ask why when I was at one of my last rounds of physical interviews. Um, so that was in 2015. And they said then that they chose not to participate uh, in local elections any longer because they felt a bit bugged down by the politics. And they felt that it led to sort of splitting up the Palestinian uh, people rather than connecting them and that they wanted to pour all their activism and all their energy into the grassroots and the sort of dawa and the presentation of sort of um, their uh, religious ideology. The Southern branch, I would describe as integrationist, it's obviously working within the system and they, as they say, in order to change it. And this has become very pronounced recently with the current participation in the Israeli government. So the United Arab List is today, still until a couple of more days, in the Israeli uh, government coalition, which is unprecedented uh, among any political party representing this minority until today. So under the current leadership of Mansour Abbas, uh, the, the United Arab List, which is then the political uh, party um, representing the southern branch, has become even more integrationist than it was before. And he says that this is in order to secure the funding that is needed for his constituency. Um, he, <clears throat> uh, he calls himself, or he says we, not himself, but we, the party, want to be the kingmaker in the coalition play among all the Israeli Zionist parties. Uh, this is a controversial stance among Palestinian citizens, also in the southern, inside the southern branch. Uh, from my interviews, it's not that everyone necessarily agree with the sort of um, how far he has taken this approach. Uh, and it will be super exciting to see where this leads the, the Southern Branches uh, party after the elections that's happening now uh, in a couple of days uh, in Israel. Um, so I think I'll end there for now, and then we can take it from there. Is that sound yeah, good? That yeah, sounds good. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's not all too much, and then we'll see whatever you would like to focus on. Yeah, no, th thank you very much. Um, just building on, on, on what you just said, um, could you say a little bit more on, on sort of how this difference in, in the kind of in their stances towards the Israeli state and, and how far they should participate within <laughs> that? How has that sort of played out in, in their everyday practices and also in, in their kind of uh, in, in, the, uh, in the, the, the popular support that they're getting? Is there, has there been sort of over the 20, 25 years a, a, a split in, in who supports which movement? Mm -hmm. um, uh, is, is one more kind of obviously political, the other kind of more religiously focused? Mm -hmm. and what's, what's been sort of the, the, the result of, of this difference in, in, in position? Mm. It's a good question. And I what I found that I find, I mean, it's because it's been taken a much more sort of extreme version lately, with, so which we didn't mention that in 2015, the Northern Branch was outlawed by, by the Israeli state, and then Prime Minister Netanyahu, who said that it, it was a threat to the, to, the, to the state. 
and because of the connections, presumed alleged connections with Hamas, uh, as well as for inciting to violence. That was the, the, the um, charges, though no one was actually charged, any, no, no person were charged with any of this, except for Ad Salah, who was charged with incitement to violence and indeed was imprisoned for that uh, until 2021. Uh, so, you know, now they, so as, as a result, today there is only one Islamic movement, which is the southern branch that is uh, legally and legitimately, we could say, uh, could call itself, you know, an active uh, political party and, and movement in Israel. Um, but what I found when I was doing my research, so my research is ethnographic, so interviews and observation, and I did that from 2008 until 2021, more or less, but obviously last couple of years then over Zoom and, and by emails and so on because of the pandemic. Uh, and on the grassroots, they're very similar. The way they relate to people, what they offer. So they offer you know, social help, they offer practical help. Uh, and then of course, it's the dawah and the sort of you know, Islamization. Uh, but both from when I sort of went uh, in, their in the different localities and I saw, I looked at the organizations and how they function, it's very similar. And they share the goals. So the goals of the movement are kind of this sort of tripartite. Uh, goals are to protect, it's a sort of focus, the Palestinian people, the Palestinian land, and the Palestinian religious sites. And so the land come, uh, the land is obvious, it's at the kind of core of the conflict between Israel and the Palestinians. But in this particular focus, it, it then relates to the religious sites, uh, not just the sort of ind individual lands so or the, uh, the Waqf land mm -hmm. that uh, the state took over in 1948. And it also relates to the mosques that was demolished 1948 and onwards, or mosques that have been in um, graveyards that has been now used for other purposes. Um, and when it comes to the people, it's because they want to protect them as, you know, non-Jewish native Palestinian citizens of, of the Jewish state, which since 2018 with the nation, nation law bill made it even more pronounced that they are second class mm. citizens. Uh, and this, they're all, you know, together and, and related to. And then the religious sites as well, which has obviously the Al-Aqsa in a focus and sort of uh, headlines, but the, it also goes to protect us, as I said, these other smaller sites um, and in when it comes to people what they do is they provide for example tuition centers so for palestinian citizens it's really difficult to get into university because they have to pass a matriculation exam which is in hebrew and relates to zionist and kind of jewish and often european type history uh, and even in the arab state schools uh, they are taught in arabic even though it is a zionist control curriculum by the state, uh, it is not the same for them as it is for the Jewish students. So they, where the Islamic movement then provides study centers to help students pass this test, right? Both linguistically, Hebrew, because they speak Arabic uh, at home and also in school mainly. So our Hebrew is their second language that they're taught in school. And they don't really mix often the Palestinian citizens and Jewish citizens. So it's only really when they come to higher education that they have to speed up their uh, level of Hebrew in order to access the education, to get into the education and then be able to follow lectures and so on. So both at campuses and before they get in, they would have these organizations and they're the same. So, but what happened with the split is that they have what I describe in the book as mirrored organization. Mm. So you have the same type organization within the Northern and the Southern. And in a way you could say they compete over both people and funding, right? Mm. Uh, so I think for, for the supporters and the activists on the ground, the movement are very similar. And then the difference is really with, with relationship to the state. Um, and in that, uh, I think it, it's clear that obviously uh, the Northern branch has chosen to withdraw more and more mm. and is much more, it's also much more, uh, negative to, for example, the PA slash PLO being, uh, you know, in negotiations with Israel, whereas the southern branch is willing to uh, push the boundary. And I think, as we see today, very quite far, you know, in terms of previously. Mm. Uh, and I think way I understand what Mansour Abbas currently is doing is he's, he basically sees them all as a Zionist, doesn't matter left wing, center or right wing among Palestine, among representatives of Israeli political parties, he considers they're all Zionist. 
and uh, I, they're not going to ever work for me or us, but I'm going to go as far as I can to get as much as I can. Hmm. I hope, did that answer your question? So, you know, did, but that then raises a question for uh, um, sort of the whole debate on inclusion moderation, you know, yes. particularly around Islamist parties, because it, it's, it sounds like from what you're saying that this of the integrationist branch uh, by becoming integrated is, 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 I mean, according to the inclusion moderation argument would then start to to defend the system of which it is part, yes. uh, almost against its its original ideology, and that mm. that would be sort of the the, the the moderating sort of uh, mm. force. And, and if, if you think about the the way they didn't um, um, criticize the 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 agreement between Israel and mm. and the, the, the different uh, different Gulf countries mm. recently, which for an Islamist movement is is, is quite extraordinary. Mm. Um, so, so would you then say that that this kind of confirms at least that part of inclusion moderation theory or or i mean obviously there are the nuances that, that your book brings to to uh, about but maybe yes. you can say a bit more about that yeah i think i mean i think also it's important to remember so you know when we study islamist movements we are we except for the, this in this case you know sociologically you're not supposed to talk about exceptions but this is really an exception because it is an islamist movement in the jewish state and therefore uh which goes back to kind of sarsus you know we can't really anticipate sort of to, to convince the, the, the majority. But so, you know, when Ayubi was uh, analyzing, uh, you know, the Islamist movements, why do they appear? It's because it's a it's a protest uh, and a reaction to the westernization and what they see as a sort of moral as well as social and religious corruption of, of their societies. Uh, and in this case, the the West is, is Israel, it's the state, but they live in it and they see it as, you know, I mean, the Raid Salan doesn't talk about Israel, he talks about 48. He doesn't even, he never says Israel. So, you know, they see themselves as living under occupation and to, even though uh, international law legally, mm. they're not, uh, you know, today. So inside the state of Israel. So it is, uh, yeah, I think you can't sort of argue that they are um, approving of the system because they're kind of, their nation, national minority, um, feeling under the you know pressures of 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 uh, not just the majority but but a but a foreign power mm. so they're they like they're it's they're still under colonial rule in their own on their own terms right uh and therefore i think um they just they're trying to adjust to how to preserve their identity how to get what they want and and, and forward their community while at the same time keeping their identity there's a one of my chapters i analyze particularly that sort of looking at how both movements are fighting what they are fighting or struggling against that yeah fighting i suppose in a way is culturally uh what the process of israelization so israelization as analyzed by um but by Israeli academics often is referred to as the process by which Palestinian citizens naturally become more Israelized because of since 1948 they have been inside Israel. It's Hebrew, it's the dominant language and culture around them that they some they kind of avoid kind of being somehow assimilated into. But then uh, you also have uh, Nadim Rahana who says it's also the sort of forced Israelization, which is the state, uh, you know, controlling curriculum and controlling media and so on and wanting to make Palestinian citizens more Israeli uh, and more sort of acquiescent citizens uh, mm -hmm. in a way. And so they're fighting against this by trying to make Palestinian citizens through all of these educational, cultural and social and obviously religious events and organizations more not just muslim or islamic or you know modern muslim but also more palestinian if you could say that and more arab in what what do i mean by that so i mean so when it goes to arab so they it's almost a bit i seems ironic you come to their study centers and they're teaching them hebrew to get into university but they're also teaching them arabic to be, to to continue to be arab right because when you go to a higher education or institution or you start working in the israeli society you use hebrew mostly so you forget about uh modern standard arabic so this the the level of arabic is uh, going down and they're really worried about how to keep their identity and then, of course, they're Islamists, so Arabic is also really 
And then, of course, Islam is important because of the obvious reason they're Islamists, but also because between 1948 and 1967, these citizens were isolated from um, from the, their brethren in the occupied territory or then in the West Bank in the Gaza Strip or other Arab countries because these were enemy states um, of Israel and also because they uh, very heavily uh, controlled them with the military government. So they censored their books. There were very few new educational books coming in. There was no opportunity to uh, continue or have any religious education within Islam. So they, you know, they were when the 1967 uh, war and they became available for them to go to the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, as I briefly uh, described it, it was for them, it was, you know, finally we can access the mm -hmm. people and culture of our people, including Islam. And in fact, Israel uh, encouraged this. So the Israeli state paid for a Palestinian citizen to go and, uh, and study in Nablus and Hebron. And, uh, you know, they, they saw this as, um, as positive and as a distraction from the national, um, secular nationalism of the PLO. Uh, so it was sort of considered um, as a better alternative. Mm. Uh, so uh, this is a yeah, long way of sort of answering. So I think, you know, goes back to being caught in a very different situation uh, than any other Islamists in the region. Therefore, uh, you know, they can never be integrated in that system fully, nor would they want to. So I think there is always a limit, right? Even yeah. though it is interesting to see how far today the Southern branch has come, and it will be interesting to see how uh, the voters will react to that in the upcoming elections. Um, before, the, before they join the, the government and coalition that they're in now, the, the, um, the Southern branch's political party, the United Arab List, was part of the joint list, which is a, an umbrella that uh, all of the political parties representing Palestinian citizens um, uh, established in 2015, the same year as the Northern branch was outlawed. So there's kind of two, two extremes of development in that year. And... Um, and this, in fact, was Sheikh Abdallah bin Darwish's wish when he, in 1996, encouraged the movement to participate uh, in national elections. He wanted that. He wanted one umbrella. He didn't want to be an Islamist party. He wanted it to be sort of, it's them, the Zionists, and then there's us, the Palestinians. And then we can have other differences at home. <laughs> you know, that's where we kind of have diversity mm. within the group. But that raises, I don't know whether we've still time um, for the last question here and then we'll throw open. But uh, as you say, it's a, it's a kind of unique context within which this movement has emerged. And so that raises questions about how do you see it in comparison with other Islamist movements across the region? Um, and just to pick up on that, that point about how will the voters react to the kind of the integrationism so far, even if there's a red line that can't be on. Do you think about, about for example, the, the Islamists in Morocco, who are part of the government that, that, that signed the agreement with Israel, mm. and then and got a real drumming in the election mm. straight after, because, um, I mean, there were other reasons, but that, but that was one kind of um, sort of flashpoint there. Yeah. So, um, and the other thing which really struck me in the book is that that's where most of the sort of the Ikhwani, the Muslim Brotherhood type movements, are are led by by, by secular kind of lay yes. um, leaders and not by scholars. Whereas in this particular case, because of of the the way um, Israel had sort of had, had prevented the emergence of, of a religious leadership within Israel, this actually meant that the leadership of this group was 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 clergy sort of focused. Mm. Um, so can you, um, we don't have much time, but just uh, sort of highlight a few yeah. sort of salient points as to how you see this as being different, but also uh, how it is actually also similar, because I think mm. there's also a lot of, of similarities there. Yes, yes, very good, yeah. So we'll start at the end. So okay. yes, so they, so they, because of uh, because of the isolation between 48 and 1967, that's why when uh, when they went to these uh, religious institutions, there were not, I mean, some Palestinians did not go to religious institutions, whatever, you know, to people's fancy, basically, uh, of educational institutions in, in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Uh, but the movement uh, inside Israel, the Islamic movement in Israel is different, precisely because it was started by these people who came back and were religiously educated. So, uh, but this is because there was such a, they had not had the opportunity to have that type of education and the religious leadership that was in Israel from 48 to 67 was considered 
and it's not necessarily rightfully so in each individual case, but it was considered because they were paid by the state and controlled by the state to be co-opted by the state. Not necessarily each person was sort of corrupt, but mm. they were part of that system. So they came back and of course in the West Bank, they met the Muslim brothers, right? And they met what was the Palestinian Muslim brothers who had left and ended up in Jordan and also the Jordanian Muslim brothers. So they came back with all of these new ideas about how to be a modern Muslim and how we can revivalists become Islamized and they were very excited so they gave, gave sermons and uh, and they you know had workshops and it really started in all the small mosques and then it spread from there into being this social political um, movement beyond just religious and so therefore the first generation of leaders are called sheikh because they were sheikhs right but uh, then it's also an honorary title and there's also bedouin title called sheikh, you know so it gets confusing they're all sheikhs you know so uh, it's 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 a bit a bit complicated but uh, but now we see for example mansoor abbas is a dentist so now we see the secularly educated, higher educational institutions educated leadership kind of, so now they're getting to that level, right? So that made sense. Muslim Brotherhood Egypt started in 1920s and this started in the 19, late 1960s. So really the movement only started in the early 70s when they had finished their education and were coming back from these institutions, which is very different. And I think that's why you see, and also, generally you know the population itself the palestinian citizens had been under so political and and financial constraint under the military government that more you know generally speaking they were all um lower lower socioeconomic mm -hmm. class uh, if you could use that sort of british concept and and so so they also spoke to a different type of population um and so it's, it is very different in that composition compared to the other regional uh, Islamist movements. And then combining that with what I said earlier with like, you know, that they're kind of living, they're not looking at the inherit, they're not kind of reacting to the inheritance of colonial rule or interference, they're living under it still from their perspective. Uh, therefore, uh, the focus naturally becomes very much our own society, our own community. They don't look at changing the state structure or even addressing it more than in order, obviously, fighting for trying to fight for equal rights and trying to fight for uh, equality in, in, in services uh, and, and budgets. But, um, uh, but I mean, it'd be interesting to see if, if, like you said, if so, if they will now, if the southern branch, and this is the other thing, so since the northern branch was outlawed in 2015, and now we only can speak of factually the southern branch, and this I don't know because I haven't been in the field uh, since uh, this uh, this happened, so to speak, in the sort of on the grassroots, like where are their supporters? Are they with the southern branch? Are they with other parties? Are they just, mm -hmm. are they part of the people who as Raid Salah would want, uh, as their leader abstaining or boycotting the elections. The predictions now is that the percentage of Palestinian citizens who will vote is 40%, which is even lower than the previous election. So it's not a very high proportion. And they're already uh, at, you know, at the, then both, all both parties, the joint list, which is now only composed of two parties, secular nationalist parties and uh, the Islamist party, uh, it, they're both uh, under threat of not making it to the across the threshold, so to the parliament. So it's going to be very interesting to see. I spoke with Shah, uh, so Sheikh Ibrahim Sarsour, who uh, I guess is both a Sheikh and educated. He has a has a BA in, in English, um, and um, uh, he's in just a couple of weeks before they left the, the, the southern branch, the United Arab list, he was talking about how the joint list was the, it was going to stay. It was the result of many years of, uh, you know, campaigning and, and negotiation and it's us versus them and the whole um, so-called spiel. And then two weeks later, they, they left. So clearly there are divisions within the southern branch yeah. as well. Uh, but Having said that, the Shura Council, so in this spring, there was the fighting at uh, Haram al-Sharif, uh, the Temple Mount, and um, and we and then the, the Mansur said, I'm, I'm withdrawing 
per, uh, not permanently, temporarily from the coalition while there is fighting at the holiest site we have in, in this country. So at holiest sites for Muslim worldwide. And, um, and it actually, they put it to the Shura Council. So the sort of up, um, highest level of, uh, of an elected president, uh, chosen representatives who will vote on how to act at mm. uh, any particular issue uh, within the movement, which does not is not within the party. It's, this is within the movement as such. Uh, and the Shura Council voted for rejoining the coalition. Uh, so that is interesting, right? So he clearly has the support. Yeah, he has the mandate. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting. But thank you very much for that. But let, let's throw open the, the floor to the questions from um, here, the audience and, and also online. Um, do you even start? Yeah. yeah. Um, Thanks. You touched upon it a little bit, but I was wondering if you can tell us more about um, the way that the uh, both branches communicate to um, the Palestinians that are not citizens of Israel. Mm. Can you also just uh, say your name and your affiliation? So, that, that, yeah. so I'm, my name is Rachel and I'm doing a master's in international relations at the LSE. Thank you, Rachel. So. Um, well, uh, so as I mentioned earlier, that one of their goals is to protect the Palestinian people. And within that definitely comes also the Palestinians who are particularly in the, in the occupied territories, West Bank and Gaza Strip. Uh, and they relate to them uh, specifically by, by charity. So they have several charitable organizations that where they collect money. And in fact, they are very similar to sort of how they run their the municipalities that they run inside Israel. They're considered uncorrupt, the Islamic movement, and they're considered to get the job done, like, you know, not to sort of waste time or money. Uh, and so I know also Christian Palestinians who will uh, be part of sort of the charitable givers. And they have uh, monthly schemes or uh, they have campaigns, depending on, on what the issue is, to support particularly orphans, uh, widows, uh, and orphanages or schools and, and, and this kind of uh, assistance. Um, obviously, this is tricky because it's, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the Gaza Strip, then it is Hamas control. So, and of course, that's illegal for, for Israeli citizens. So they have to be very careful and transparent about how they do this. Uh, but both branches do do this. Um, and as I also mentioned, the flotilla, so they, you know, they show support uh, in speeches, they show support, uh, they talk about or against the actions of the Israeli state and military in the parliament, for example, the, the representatives. Uh, so they definitely voice their concerns and, and also on a sort of more local level, uh, you also have the, the Palestinians, around 400,000 Palestinians in East Jerusalem who are residents, but not citizens of Israel. And today, they're because of the uh, separation wall and because of the checkpoint system, they're cut off from the Palestinians in the West Bank, which is their natural uh, community, both in terms of schooling, work, uh, and so on. And so the businesses and restaurants there are suffering. And so here the movement and both branches also do this or did this until 2015. Uh, what they do is they provide bus, free bus services from most towns and villages across Israel to Jerusalem on a, if not daily, then uh, several times a week basis. And the point is to get Palestinians from Israel in uh, to the Al-Aqsa to uh, keep the mosque kind of alive with people who come and pray uh, there. And the other point is to then encourage them to spend their money in East Jerusalem to support the Palestinians there. So they really are trying, I think, to kind of unite the Palestinians within the systems that are available. But of course, you know, since the Oslo Accords uh, and particularly since the, the, um, the separation wall, it's become very increasingly difficult to physically right, go and participate or, or be active in the West Bank. They're also very active in land day demonstrations. And in fact, the, the sort of, you know, young to be leaders of the Muslim, uh, of the Islamic movement that were part of organizing the first land day demonstration in 1976, alongside, you know, other community leaders, uh, Palestinian citizens. Mm. Um, um, you, uh, why did you put your question and I'll add some of the of the, the Zoom questions to it and then you can answer as a, as a package. Fantastic. Uh, have they ever made any inroads into Arab and Muslim communities that don't consider themselves Palestinian, like the um, 
So should I start again? Um, so my name's Omer, I'm uh, doing a Master Middle Eastern Studies at SOAS. Uh, I was wondering, have the Islamic movement in Israel ever made any inroads into Arab and Muslim communities that don't consider themselves Palestinians, such as the Bedouins, the Circassians, and the Druze communities? Thank you. And I'll just add to that. Uh, so Adnan Mahmoud is asking, is the Northern branch losing its support among Palestinians? And if yes, is the um, quote-unquote Mansour Abbas phenomenon the new future of Palestinians in Israel? Um, and then uh, um, um, Caitlin Teller asks, do you have an estimate of how many Israeli Palestinians are members of the Islamic movement parties? Mm, good question. Right. Thank you. Thank you all. Um, so um, uh, I, um, it's a complicated question because uh, I don't think necessarily that like so in, in the category Palestinian citizens, uh, I definitely include uh, Bedouins. Uh, Druze are uh, are on the side. They are their own uh, own group, uh, and I did not do any interviews with any Druze leaders or individuals. But uh, I mean, in the south, uh, in the in the Nakba and Negev, you you know the majority are uh, Bedouin of sort of lifestyle, uh, but they are definitely Palestinian citizens, and the Islamic movement is huge among this population, very big, especially the south. Uh, and the previous uh, previous uh, head of the southern branch was from uh, is from from the from the from the south from the Negev or Nakab uh, Abu Dhabis. So uh, definitely big among the Bedouin. Um, Sarkasin, I don't again that I don't know actually uh, because I haven't particularly interviewed or studied them. But this also plays into the whole kind of you know how the Israeli state has divided them into these categories which Palestinians consider kind of a divide and rule and splitting us up uh, according to ter terminology or categories that is convenient for them but doesn't necessarily represent what how the Palestinians themselves would divide especially when it comes to vis-a-vis -vis the state, right? Uh, but the Bedouins are, of course, Muslim, and yeah, the, Muslim, uh, the Islamic movement is big in, in the South. Um, is the Northern branch losing support? I mean, the Northern branch doesn't exist, sadly, so to speak. I mean, sadly, as in, you know, how could it not, it can't have support because it's not legal. Uh, if you do uh, um, advocate to, to represent it today, you will be put in jail. So basically what happened in 2015 was that Overnight, it was outlawed, uh, and all of the organizations and the people working in them, uh, you know, they lost their jobs. Thousands and thousands of people who worked in these organizations, mostly women, because it was good, uh, it was a convenient place for women to find work in Arab communities, uh, towns, and villages, especially if it, they found it difficult to travel to Jewish towns and villages or quote unquote mixed uh, towns and villages. So it was quite surprising to the state how many showed up the next day at the unemployment office and, and applied for unemployment uh, benefits. They had not anticipated this. I don't think they quite understood what kind of a social economic um, organizations uh, the Islamic movement represented. Um, and also all of those people who lost the benefits, these uh, you know educational, social, they do soup kitchens, they do... Uh, nurseries, you know, there's just a lot of volunteerism for people and, and to sort of, you know, that keep these societies and communities tick over. Uh, and, uh, and it created a, a huge, uh, huge loss for, for all of these uh, people. Um, but uh, you can, it is now illegal to, to be associated with the Northern branch because it is outlawed. So, so um as I mentioned earlier, you know, where are the supporters today? Honestly, I, I don't know. I haven't done any research on that, but I think it is a super interesting question. I really encourage someone to do go out and research that and find out, you know, did many, how many ventured into the Southern branch? Uh, are they just kind of waiting? Are they quietly doing their things without, you know, making it Northern branch or Southern branch? Uh, I think that's super interesting. But certainly Mansoor Abbas is new. He seems to point to the future. Um, again, as I said, we will see in the upcoming election if the people think he is or you know, his supporters think he is the future. Um, he is, I think he's, he's very brave because he's, you know, he, he goes very far in his pragmatism. Uh, and uh, only, only, yeah, only the future can tell how, how well it will go. 
Um, and all of this really, both of these things speaks to also the membership. So the Islamic movement, none of the branches operate with membership statistics or membership, membership actually. <laughs> so it's impossible really to say they have these many members. So you can look at local election results uh, where they have stood for elections. You can look at the national elections for the Southern branch. You can estimate from the people using these buses uh, to go to Jerusalem, uh, you can look at people uh, showing up to their events. So, uh, especially in Umar Fahim, but later also in Kufr Qasim, um, because of the split, they you know everything was kind of mirrored between the two branches. So every year they would have a festival called uh, Al Aqsa is in danger. The Al Aqsa is in danger festival is organized in order to. Uh, put a focus on what's going on at Al-Aqsa, uh, to bring the people together to kind of uh, to um, collect zakat for Al-Aqsa and also to have community leaders talk about and kind of rally support around it. And you had also there a lot of Christian leaders and also some other community and political leaders uh, of Palestinians who would who would participate. Uh, so there, you know, and there can be uh, hundreds of thousands of supporters attending these massive events. Uh, but it is difficult to estimate exactly how big, also because, as I discuss in my book, and I think it's any social movement, specifically religious social movements, like one thing is people who are evidently activists, like in the movement, have a title or work in an organization or have a job uh, with the movement. But supporters can, you know, sometimes they're supporters, sometimes they're not. Maybe they vote for a nationalist party, but they also like the Islamic movement. It's fluid. It's not, you know, black and white or set in stone. Um, so it's it's complicated, but it is the largest socio-religious movement among Palestinian citizens, for sure. And one of the interesting things also that, that comes out of the book is that you don't always know why people are there at an event. I mean, if, <laughs> if there are Christian speakers, they might yep. be there to support them or yep. the, 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 the Islam movement itself also builds alliances with, with local clans and families mm. and in elections. And then so people might be voting for that, that, that block because of the clan rather than because mm. of the movement. So it is very hard to come to, to disentangle. Um, sorry, I shouldn't jump in. But um, are there any other sort of questions? Did you? Yeah. yeah. Does there anybody else online who wants to put in a question, then please do. Thank you. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Chloe. I'm doing a PhD in IR uh, at LSE. Uh, thank you very much for a very interesting presentation. Um, I would have a question. I hope it doesn't fall too far outside of the scope of your research. Um, but I was wondering, you know, you did mention that um, the Israeli government uh, found interest uh, in the existence, basically, of those organizations in, uh, you know, uh, to channel uh, the nationalist feelings, for instance. But I was wondering if you could talk a bit more to uh, uh, about, um, you know, the basically balance of interest mm -hmm. uh, for the uh, Israeli government mm -hmm. in allowing basically the existence of, mm -hmm. of such an organization. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe a second question, which is actually very quick. Uh, do you know what kind of um, uh, practical work uh, uh, the these organizations uh, carry out in the the parliament mm. uh, do they manage uh, you know to uh, work with other uh, parliamentary groups or yeah basically that's it thank you thank you as we're nearly at seven are there any other questions people want to kind of add on to this as a kind of question bank we probably have to finish about Five past seven, so we started a bit late, so we can go on a little bit longer. No, and nothing. Or oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Hang on, we we'll just wait for the microphone because otherwise the the Zoom people can't hear you. My name is Amy. I'm a graduate from South University, Master of Middle East Politics. My question is. Uh, to Tilda, what was your uh, your main question or your main argument in this book? Mm -hmm. Is it a comparison between two branches mm -hmm. uh, or is it the function of this uh, movement? Mm -hmm. uh, 
So what was your main argument? Because mm. um, it is inside uh, Israel, not mm. outside Israel. Mm. It mm. is not in the West Bank or mm. in the Strip of Gaza. Is mm. is inside. So it, they are minority. They are mm. not majority. Mm -hmm. So um, do you study? Uh, are you researching uh, the the movement is allowed uh, to serve the people mm -hmm. or the, mm -hmm. Don't allow to say this is my question. Thank you for your presentation. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, great. So uh, they come together neatly. Actually, I'll start with this, and then I think it feeds into. So my my approach is really contextual. So it goes to exactly this, like looking at this. So I'll, very briefly, I discovered. I've been studying. Um, uh, other groups in Israel-Palestine before. So I've studied the so-called Misrahi or the Sephardic or the Jews from Middle East and Northern Africa and, and the Shas movement, which is a similar only Jewish movement that represents uh, Jews from Arab countries and, and Muslim countries. Um, and it's a religious political movement. And then it was when I was uh, mo moving into studying secular expression of the same group that I was doing my PhD and I went uh, with a friend, uh, not uh, academically, just as a, you know, uh, interested person to Umm al-Fahim and there was uh, a big rally because Shaykh Raad Salah had come home from prison one of the occasions. He's been in prison several times and I was surprised because I realized I knew nothing about this movement. And I was like, I've lived in this, in both Israel uh, and in occupied Palestinian territory for many years altogether. And I've studied a Palestinian citizen along as, as one of the cases in my PhD, but I didn't know much about this movement or how big it was or, you know, and it was fascinating. So my approach is kind of how come there isn't, like who are who are the Islamists inside Israel? Because it sounds like an oxymoron that you have Islamic movement in Israel. So that was my sort of start. Like, and then I found there are some good articles, but there aren't many, and there's not much written about it, and there's particularly not much written about it in English. So I was basically just super curious. I wanted to find out who are they, what do they want, how do they function, and uh, and uh, having already studied Palestinian citizens, so knowing that they are you know the minority the indigenous population, how they have lived through 1948 and the military government, 1967, and how they have then found political expressions. Um, I was interested to see how did they fit into this and how do they also then compare to other Islamist movements in the region. So my approach is very contextualized, right? I believe that you can't study any religious or political social movement without the context. And I don't, and I think this happens a lot, particularly to Islamist groups that they're kind of taken out of the context. And then you use this radical moderate approach and you kind of discuss uh, a few words they say here or some writing there. And I wanted to go like down and sort of see who are they? How do they operate? What do they want? How do these goals? And it seems really obvious to me. They're very, in a way, they really are Israeli Islamists because all of their, in the sense that they're Israeli Palestinian Islamists who have all of their uh, actions and their approach is to do with the context. It's either, so it has to do with, goes to your question, goes to the, yes, there are opportunities affording them, afforded to them. If not, they of course wouldn't be in the parliament, right? So as Israeli citizens, they have the right to vote and to be represented. Uh, and they have the right to healthcare and to uh, national insurance and to uh, education. But compared to Israeli citizens, they are discriminated at every level as non-Jewish citizens of the state, most explicitly now lately with the 2018 nation state law that makes Israel the, the, the state for only the Jewish group, where, but they are still citizens and they're still also not afforded any um, minority group rights as group, right? So they have these individual rights which they use, that's why. So they are able to use the opportunities afforded within the limitations imposed by this strict state structure, right? Um, and uh, in the parliament, interestingly, they do collaborate, not just with the other Palestinian groups, that would be natural, right? When it comes to land rights or protest against limitations in, in budgets and so on. But they also, when it comes to specifically social politics, they would go to the ultra-Orthodox or Haredi uh, Israeli Jewish uh, parties because they are all against LGBTQ rights and so on, right? So they, when it comes to social politics, they go across. 
and, and they would support each other in the conservative uh, social uh, arena, we could say. So, uh, and sometimes, and you, we saw this in practice on a local political level, um, they would collaborate with the next, the sort of, you know, bordering Jewish uh, municipality because they were saying compared to those people in the South, we don't have enough water or compared to them people in the city, we, you know, so they would collaborate. And there's a lot of on the ground uh, communication between uh, localities in that sense. Um, uh, so I remember one of my, one of the leaders explained how in the 1990s, they, didn't have enough water supply uh, and the state was being difficult at sort of providing it, but the kibbutz, so this sort of rural uh, communal collective living uh, among Israelis who were next door to them, they said, well, until you have enough, we will provide you. So, you know, there is a lot of stuff going on on the ground between people and communities that doesn't make it to the headlines. And, you know, it's not a black and white picture. I think it's important to say. Um, uh, but and the government, uh, so the government sort of interest in. Uh, let me remind remember your question. Uh, how to relate to this to this movement? Yes, and then how they supported them to go to their seminaries in the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, which you know they did with Hamas as well. Uh, so this is not a new thing. I mean, not a, or an individual approach to this movement in particular. Um, and I think they, you know, they thought probably it was a good thing that to bring religion and to keep them happy and 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 sort of uh, satisfied in in their um, in their communities. Uh, I don't think they anticipated that they would become a political force the way that they have been. Um, and, but right, I mean, now we could maybe say that maybe they're, you know, it seems like this is the political force among the Palestinians that for the Israeli perspective, it maybe uh, is the best choice because they chose to include them. I mean, some parties chose to include them in the coalition and they seem to be less um, less averse to, you know, uh, complete co collaboration or co cooperation than the nationalist secular parties. So um, I'm, I'm sure some would, you know, argue that this, this was a good, um, a good approach, right? Or a, a, a successful approach in that respect. Um, which kind of goes back to what you mentioned in between the, the questions, you know, that um, like one of my sort of conclusions is that I consider uh, these uh, Islamists to be sort of Islamist Palestinian nationalists, but obviously nationalists that have their, their two, you know, again, it shows that nothing is, it's not Israeli versus Palestinian, it's not even Palestinian is one thing. They're all, you know, there are different strands and this is maybe the Curation, I guess, of this, of the political um, ideas and, and practices and behavior of this population is indeed that it is not in one strand, but it, you know, it, it keeps diversifying as the reality changes. Which actually, there's one more question online, which, which, which kind of links a little bit to that, um, which is from um, Mubarak uh, Algeri. Um, what kind of engagement between Islamists and Bedouin tribes in the South? Because um, I think that this is interesting. Also, going back to the point about sort of the, the clans and, and, yeah. and sort of the alliances there, um, how how do they kind of mobilize people or, or not? But but that mm. yeah, would be interesting. So, so I have to say that I didn't do specific fieldwork in the south, so I can't speak uh, sort of uh, concretely about what's going on in the ground on the ground uh, in terms of daily activism. But what I do know is, for example, now so the Bedouins uh, in the south. Uh, so in the Nakab Nevgev are under a lot of pressure because um, many of them live in so-called unrecognized villages. So where they don't have any um, infrastructure provided by the state, like sewage, water, electricity, roads, police, uh, healthcare, schools, and so on. Uh, and so one of the things, for example, Mansour Abbas managed to achieve by going into the coalition was the recognition, the promise of the recognition of three of these uh, communities in order to provide them these services, but also in order to keep like not having to, they don't, wouldn't have to move again because they have been moved since 1948 several times. And uh, so whenever there are uh, events that uh, where uh, the state is trying to take over land or move people, then they would bus in people from uh, from the north, uh, 
So in you know the same kind of principle of the buses to to Al Aqsa uh, to protest and and to be active and a lot of the student activists, but not just the Islamists, but also the Islamists, are good at then showing up in numbers, right, and showing that we are against uh, the appropriation of this land and we are one with the Bedouin. We are together. We are all Palestinian citizens. We support each other. Uh, so there's definitely that level. Um, uh, wait, and you said something else. Oh, the clans. Yeah, and also because clan um, clan politics is was obviously something that was uh, part of of this society uh, traditionally, and then in the mandate period, it became sort of less significant because of the new uh, constitution of, of, of who was on the inside and outside of the borders and, and how they're related to the British. But then uh, during the, uh, during the uh, since 1948, in fact, the Israeli uh, political parties has related to the clans again. Like that's how they kind of found their kind of the contact person and the person that they invited in. So you represent that group and we can give you this as, so between 1948 and 67, most uh, Palestinians, if they did vote, uh, Palestinian citizens would vote for, for Zionist parties. There weren't many opportunities for, you know, they were not allowed to have their own political parties. But uh, so the Islamic movement, as well as, of course, all the other political parties representing Palestinians are seen as a, you know, a fresh breath and something new. But the Islamic movement, and particularly the northern branch in Umar Fahim until 2013, was seen as uh, more successful in, um, in, in, uh, in avoiding clan politics and sort of not wanting to hinge on that particular system mm -hmm. that they saw as uh, unsuccessful and unhelpful, but also as kind of co-opted by the Israeli state. So in that sense, we could say that, you know, they are, they led to what we could call a modernization uh, or, you know, of, of Palestinian local political um, structures. Um, and also um, were able to, to, to make it about ideology rather than about family relations mm. and, and hierarchies, which is very relevant in mm. the in the in that south among the Bedouin. Don't know how well it has succeeded there. Yes. Well, this is another um, sort of yes, um, research project. So there's yes. at, at, least, it out there. at, at least two projects that come from this book that, that people should take up. Um, but I think this is a good sort of um, uh, note to, to end it on. Um, thank you very much. And as, as you, you can have heard, this, this is a really rich book. Um, but what I found so interesting about it was that you, you went beyond sort of, the, sort of the ideological statements, kind of uh, the type of research where you actually looked at sort of how people lived and experienced and, 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 and practiced uh, sort of the, the, their membership in, in this organization. So it's, that then, of, of course, creates a very kind of complex picture where it's, it's not sort of a black and white thing. And I think that, that's what really comes out of the, of the book, this kind of this nuance there. So thank you all very much for coming and thank you everybody online for um, uh, staying with us and uh, looking forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>